Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Build Black Podcast. This is the Dope Black Dads Podcast. My name is Marvin Harrison. Oh, wow. I have returned now, not to act as if I'm some sort of messiah, but as the founder of my most beloved thing that I have ever created. (laughs) Being away is sometimes so difficult. But much of the time when I come back, it's because I have been inspired or I have discovered something new that is so important. I have to share it. And I think my favorite thing about having a podcast like this is that I can come back and share stuff with you that I discover anytime I want. And it's just such a privilege. And so thank you for listening, most importantly, because if you didn't listen, there'll be no context for me to share. (laughs) I'll be sharing into the abyss. And I share from the most loving and calm and informed place that I have ever been as a man, as a black father, as a black person, as any part of my intersectional identity, any of my political views, I've never been so certain, so clear, so informed, so powerful about what it is my truth is. So I wanted to share that with you. And really in my mind, I'm visualizing this. And if you close your eyes, you might be able to go there too. I'm visualizing this as that there's like a group of us. Now I know how many people listen to this podcast. So this group will be way too big, but (laughs) there is a group of us in a circle, in a little campfire. And I've sat down and I've discovered something, not just about the world, but really myself. And I'm sharing and I look around and there's loving eyes. There is warmth. There is connection. There is collective purpose. There is a space of understanding. There is a space of love and care. And there's a space of raw honesty. Well, a part of my raw honesty is I have lived with a condition called ADHD for pretty much all of my life. And the, and the craziest thing is I had absolutely no idea (laughs) not one and the reason why that's something that i laugh about is in knowing that it became an answer for all the gaps i had 
about me. And anyone that's listened to this podcast that has heard about Double Dad Dads, Googled it, seen anything I've put out, I spend a lot of time understanding me. It's a passion of mine. Like I want to get better. I want to be sharper, more informed about who I am in every situation. And I practice those things. I dedicate time, consistency, and discipline to being better pretty much all the time. And I will tell you now, I am not doing this so that I can go out into the world and say, I am better than anybody. It doesn't even cross my mind. Inherently, that is a almost concern or a question that I have. And one I have to audit myself, am I ever being performative? I've also just got to check and make sure that like, what happens if I employ some boundaries here and I don't share certain things. And that's why largely I stopped doing the podcast is because I wanted to create a boundary between what I was discovering in real time and the people who were listening because I felt like I was going through a big change I felt like I was changing some things about my life in a big way and I did want to share because I was curious and passionate about the choices that I was making at the time but really there are still one real people whose lives are coexisting with mine that don't need to have their experiences shared on a podcast in real time and also what i felt in that moment may not be the truth it may not be the full stop it may not be something that's worth sharing and so now that i get to visit i get to visit after i've had some time to think and to process and to experience and i get to share things with you when i feel it is worthy of sharing and so today's share is that yes i have found out as of april that I have had ADHD for my whole life. And for those who do not know what ADHD is, it is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. There's a lot of words there. <laughs> attention is your ability to attend, be attentive, sorry. Uh, the deficit, so their lack thereof. Uh, hyperactivity feels completely separate to the first part of the statement and it's a disorder um it is a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects both children and adults adhd is characterized by a persistent pattern of inattention hyperactivity and impulsivity that interferes with daily functioning and development now there are three different types of adhd one is predominantly inattentive so that's individuals with this subtype struggle primarily with inattention. They may have difficulty sustaining attention, following through with tasks and organizing activities. And then there's predominantly hyperactive, which is the subtype which is characterized by hyperactivity and impulsivity. Individuals may be fidgety, fidgety, <laughs> talk excessively, have difficulty waiting their turn and act impulsively without thinking about the consequences. Now, I am probably number three. <laughs> this involves symptoms of both inattention and hyperactivity impulsivity. So if I'm uninspired by what I am hearing, listening to, seeing, or it is a blind spot of mine, or if it's a thing that I struggle with, I may just tune out. And you may see me go on my phone, look away, or 
if I feel like I have something very compulsive to say, I jump in and I, you know, say my thing first because I have to get it out. Because one, because I forget it, but also it's like there. And so ADHD can affect various aspects of life, including academic performance. That definitely showed up in my academic work. Work productivity, same. Social interactions, same. <laughs> and it's essential to note that ADHD is not related to intelligence. Individuals with ADHD can have a range of abilities and strengths. Diagnosis of ADHD typically involves a comprehensive assessment that considers the individual's medical history, behavioral observations, and reports from parents, teachers, or caregivers. Once diagnosed, various treatments can be helped managed. ADA symptoms including therapy, medication, and educational support. Early intervention and ongoing management are essential to help individuals with ADHD thrive and reach their full potential. So yes, I think about thinking about what they just said. Um, clearly in my childhood, it not being identified had a huge impact. So I had to push through my educational years and find shortcuts find ways that my particular learning style was accepted and adopted and could be used so i wasn't learning in the same way that everybody else was learning and i wasn't operating at the pace that everybody else was operating at and i found some concepts really easy to adopt i was great at maths i found it incredibly easy to look at algebraic equations and I would just look at them and then my brain would assort the pattern of the uh, equation and tell me what the answer is. Now, if a teacher told me, Marvin, explain how you did your working out, the way I would explain it wouldn't make sense to somebody else. Um, it's not a traditional mathematical solution that is promoted <laughs> in the business of mathematics. Um, I can't explain that my brain just assorts numbers and tells me what the answer is and it just happens to be true now in many realms it will be considered a gift <laughs> it'll be like wow this person can look at numbers arrange them and i probably would have been hauled off to a lab to be investigated why can he do that why can no one else do that but actually what happened was is that my teachers told me that this is i could be cheating or this is now wrong because i can't show the working out even though the answer is right i was downgraded on that basis and it just made me not want to raise my hands, contribute to education, or contribute to a healthy learning environment for others. And in my boredom and impulsivity, I would just create little side projects that I would engage in to entertain myself, engage in something else that would allow me to feel better about my process of educating, learning, growing. And so as I think about that more and more as an adult, I just received so many answers about why my world was the world that it was. And the best way to characterize that is in the last three months of processing what my experience has been, the best way to characterize it is that I've just felt like the X-Men. <laughs> now this is elaborate, but again, this is how my visual mind works. It finds like experiences and merges them together or it, mirrors them and that's the best way that i can explain it if anybody's watched the x-men of a movie or cartoon form it's these uh people or these organisms let's say organisms for now <laughs> we don't know if they're considered technically people who are 
born and have a mutant gene and they develop some sort of superpower um if, if x-men isn't about neurodivergency i'm gonna write to everybody a congressman that we don't have the mayor the police commission to investigate because it basically is the life of and so you are born into what we call neuronormative environments and inherently you can navigate it to some degree but your full self isn't fully accepted you have a gift which nobody else has that gift is powerful and amazing and celebrated and can make you money and can help you change the world but then you have some basic things that you just can't do some basic everyday things that people are just like why can't you just do this where it's like well my hands heat things to a thousand degrees so i can't just bake a cake with everybody else without setting fire to the kitchen and no i don't do it on purpose it just happens or fire comes out of my eyes <laughs> so i did just burn down the building but i also saved everybody from dying so if you don't mind please thank me while i'm <laughs> this is so funny because that is literally it while you're using your gift that you develop in adhd to you know save the world solve problems fix things build you know amazing sculptures or whatever it is that you're doing people stand in awe of it but the process in doing it is hell for you and sometimes the people around you and often you have to accept that you can't coexist fully while you're doing your things you have to find the kind of people who can be supportive of your gift in full and you in the pursuit of whatever it is that you're doing and you don't have the luxury of you know being fully accepted and empowered for your gift and your challenges at the same time so most neuronormative people lie about their limitations they lie and hope that no one ever sees <laughs> they just pretend that they don't have dark thoughts that they didn't steal or they didn't lie or they weren't you know fearful or they didn't punch people in the face and they just hide all of their challenges they, you know the dyslexia they just all well, the dyslexia is obviously one of us but people just learn to mask and in the masking you disassociate with your true self also i had this strange question to myself it's like who am i really who am i really and i, I don't think i was ever allowed to know <laughs> that sounds so big but if i if you think about the idea of like who you are being polarizing and ostracized and marginalized then you don't get to be that person you don't get to develop into who you was going to be you develop someone that can survive your surroundings that becomes almost like an avatar that you create to exist amongst other people because neuronormative dominates the way that we exist we live within the confines of a neuronormative mind and so anytime that our divergent mind exercises itself we have to pretend it's not happening <laughs> it's like complete pretense complete uh imaginative imaginary kind of avoidance it's not an imagine it's avoidance you just avoid the fact that you have to ask the question that am i supposed to be here so i understand inherently neurodivergent people in one capacity which is i know that you've had to find a mask and what mask did you choose now i would love to have a healthy conversation about masking i would love to have a healthy conversation about 
how your persona has been developed and whose persona did you steal? <laughs> so I strongly believe at some point when you realize that your way of being doesn't work, you saw somebody, met somebody, and you were like, I'm just going to be him because he seems to get the support, the love, the adulation, and you put this act on and you never stopped. Mine was Will Smith, by the way. The idea of being the Fresh Prince of the Bel-Air was like the archetype. So the charming, still relatively intelligent, funny, young black boy was the persona that I took on. It was the one that I, as much as he got into trouble, he was still liked and loved for it in some sort of strange way. So in it, I just built this persona of being charming and funny. Well, the gift of that is that I was able to navigate my teens, which I definitely wouldn't have been able to navigate otherwise. But the curse of that is that when I wasn't charming and, you know, um, cheeky and I got angry or I got frustrated or I got disappointed or, you know, I had really strong feelings. No, there was no support for that because in the minds of the people around me it was not the person that they felt that I should be it's like I wasn't allowed an additional character I didn't leave scope <laughs> in my character development to be imperfect and so I suffered a lot in my teen years just socially um which just very clear that and again the suffering I speak of there are people who suffer really violent acts at the hands of adults and other children and when i say suffer it's contextualized by suffering for me it's not to be measured against suffering in the world don't tell me about world hunger and abuse and young girls and this is not a political statement this is just a autobiography of what my experience was living with adhd as a condition not having a clue, knowing something is wrong or different, um, developing answers for myself alone as a child and living that out through to adulthood, never considering that anything was wrong. And the different phases that I went through was like phase one was, I'm here, this is great, this is who I am. Look, being, being, being. And then there's a point where it's not cute to be curious and light mini fires because <laughs> you like watching fire you start figuring out that like fire is like wait hold on a second so if i get this nap match and i flick it against this thing fire is created and there's like a pattern and a movement of fire and it can burn things but it keeps my hands warm and it can also burn me and da -da -da. like i was so curious by that i became hyper focused on fire for ages and so i would like take boxes boxes of matches from the house and try to burn things like small things let me, let me not say like i was an arsonist <laughs> i mean like i'll find a leaf on the floor and i'll try to set fire to it and see what happened if you burned a leaf versus burning paper versus burning plastic versus burning clothing just like what happens and that was a whole work stream that i did by myself in private in secret as a child in a park and fascinated by it now in that moment if i had been met by a, you know a scientist of some kind like some a chemistry scientist or a chemistry major and they were talking about what fire does 
happening. It's the fact that it's one of the key elements. Like to talk to me about it from a scientific point of view, I could have taken that passion in that time and leaned into it. Could have had a completely different career. Could have been telling me about the world and the makeup of it and through the lens of the elements, nature, chemistry, all the things. And I could have become a scientist today. And I've had passion work streams for making perfume and taking flowers and you know botany is it botany it's called botany i've had passion for being a botanist i want to say it's a botanist <laughs> you know when you learn words and then you don't use them and then you forget botanist if this is correct by the way then this is truth that like my brain stores um things and then serve serves them just in time when i'm speaking it is. See, look, there you go. This is proof. It's a, a botanist is a uh, scientist who specializes in the study of plants. So I, I don't know how I knew that because I've never used that word before, but somehow it lived in my brain and my ADHD brain just presented it just in time. <laughs> and it sounds really, really like I knew what I was talking about. Are you ready to inspire confidence and self-esteem in the little ones that you love? Introducing The Best Me, the first book of self-care and young children. Every morning as the sun rises, it's time to be your best self. And with the help of our loving daddy, we can learn the secrets to becoming better people. The Best Me is a positive and empowering book overflowing with joy and encouragement. Written by Marvin Harrison. Hey, that's me. The visionary behind Dope Black Dads and beautifully illustrated by Rochelle Faulkner. This book celebrates the best in all of us. From keeping clean to eating healthily and spreading kindness, The Best Me is filled with practical tips that are easy to put into practice. So gather your little ones, share the joy and watch them stand tall. The Best Me is a book that sparks confidence and self-esteem, reminding children that they can achieve anything they set their minds to. For more daily affirmations and empowering reads, don't miss I Love Me, another delightful book to nurture young hearts. Get your copy of The Best Me and unlock a world of self-care and positivity. Available now at all your favorite bookstores and online retailers. Together, let's say it loud. Yes, we can keep clean, eat healthily and be kind. The Best Me, a book that inspires greatness in every child. So I had a passion for botany and I would go around and collect plants and I would cut them and I would line them up and I would study them and the different types and which ones had beds in the middle and which ones were growing and they were thorny and why and you know i was i didn't have any answers by the way i had no truthful facts i was just making opinions based on the evidence of what i was seeing in front of me and how they seem to grow smell if they produce berries and edible things versus uh you know what do their stems look like all of these things i just made up on my own out of sheer passion and focus of a very particular subject that would be curious to me at a time now part of my fire passion for example was one day when i found a box of matches and i was like well, what would happen if i set fire to the box of matches and i had no barrier to say that this would be a bad idea in any way shape or form so i light, lighted the match and i set fire to it and it created a mini fire in my house and burned the countertop in my mum's house 
and but also what i did is i realized that there was a reaction between each of the matches which created another reaction which created a big fire and it was almost this spark almost a mini firework and i was like that's so interesting so can i make fireworks was the question uh, but very quickly um i realized that i had set a mini fire in my house and stained the countertop of my mum's kitchen which is a huge deal and you know what i became preoccupied is is the consequences of me setting a mini fire off in my mum's kitchen uh, as a result i spent the rest of the day in fear <laughs> thinking about the levels of disappointment and slaps i would receive as a consequence of what i had done and i had forgotten everything that i had learned life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs no deductibles no enrollment periods and especially no more what-ifs visit uh1.com to find the health protector guard plan for you there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda-approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And then discovered through the gaze of fire and now was worried about my survival and safety now again it sounds very dramatic because it sounds like i was going to die now death in the eyes of a child to a parent isn't necessarily death by murder <laughs> it's death by is death by disappointment it is death by fear paralyzing you into stillness where you stop living <laughs> death can mean many things so that death in particular became my present it became something i had to deal with and i went into survival mode and my mum found a stain on her countertop and she would round everybody up and ask who did it and we all said we didn't and then she would just choose that it was me anyway because probably she knew i was lying but more importantly she knew i was the only one that would be stupid enough to do so and i say stupid i know i wasn't stupid but i was curious but curious can look stupid if it is unmanaged <laughs> so that was my lived experience now extrapolate that from whenever i was eight years old at that point extrapolate that for another 30 years of doing versions of that and learning how to act and developing more you know ways of safeguarding and you know so the rules that i set myself to protect so my teens being so sorry I had, a, I had a linear way of explaining this so my formative years and i would say up until about 10 was that was be curious try stuff out see what happens and deal with the consequences 
And sometimes you think you're too smart and you knew there was consequences, but you just couldn't help it and you wanted to find out anyway, there would be a consequence. And at some point, I think maybe in my teens, my mum just had enough. To be fair, my brother and sister also had enough and they couldn't be bothered to process anything other than just like, ugh, another thing that Marvin's doing. So one of the things that my brothers and sisters told me about my when I was in my teens is that I would always grasp them up. And so I have this thing for the truth, which I just can't not give. It just I just don't have a button that says this is probably a thing that I shouldn't share. So I just share what I feel like it is. And so, you know, they would do something when my mom was at work and I would come back and I would tell her. But I wasn't telling her to like let the her uh, um, to get my brother and sister into trouble I was telling her because I liked talking to my mum and it was a great conversation to have it's like this is what you did today oh today we did this <laughs> and then the mum would be like what and like yeah and then we did this and we went here and we left the house and we went to the market and she's like I told her not to leave the house and I was like yeah but and then we went to the market and we found this thing and then we got this and then someone gave us this for free and someone recognised us it was so cool and we went for a walk and mum was just like who told you to leave the house and then my brother and sister would get in trouble for leaving the house and then I would be like well you still haven't really heard my story. <laughs> now, if you was my brother and sister, you'd be like, who the hell is this man and what the hell is this about? But in reality, I was just excited. That I wanted to share that with my mother because she was amazing. Um, and so it became a real understanding of just, you know, that person couldn't exist for much longer. So I tired out that avatar, that authentic way of being. And I created an avatar. The first avatar being Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I thought if I was just funny and charming, I would navigate life because people seemed to like him and he did really well. Somehow he'd find himself in Bel Air, even though he got into trouble and he was lovable in some way and cool. And he got girls and, you know, he always had nice trainers on. No one ever really saw him shop or where he got the money from, but he seemed to have them. So my Fresh Prince of Bel Air years, which took me up until my early 20s, was just to be cheeky, funny and, you know, be as smart as I could and but yeah cheeky funny and fearless became my way of being so most of my time in my teens I just developed this like way of just cheeky funny pushing the boundaries pushing the line but then being funny about it being charming about it um, and trying to navigate and get away with things because it was cheeky funny time um, and that really got me through to <laughs> being uh, past probably university and then when I was 19, and by the way, I don't remember much of my teen years. I just, I just don't. Um, so much things happened. And I felt so confused by existing in my teens. I just don't remember much detail. There's some school references that I remember, but really and truly, I don't remember much um, from my teen years. I remember my first day of secondary school. I remember being something at 16. And I remember some events then. I remember some things at 18. But by 19, I had left my house, my mum's house. And I was now developing a shift in my behavior into being a man. And basically being a man just meant I was independent. I didn't have anybody paying my rent. I didn't have anybody helping me. I was self-sufficient and I needed to do certain things to be able to be that. So adding making money to it meant that there was now a element of causality by the way i've been making money since i was 13 in different ways so i was making money but i had to act i had to actually make money every 30 days to pay my rent that's a very different type of pressure <laughs> so when we talk about masculinity being a man being an adult this is a different type of pressure when you know by 
you know, 30 days, if you don't make it, then there is a consequence and you could be homeless. And I clearly did not want to be homeless. So I had to develop an act of what that looked like. It was quite crazy and scary. And so I, when you add that to cheeky and funny, you need a practical element to develop, you know, this idea of survival. My survival became, I needed to make about 600 pounds a month minimum to cover my costs then I needed probably another four to six hundred pounds enough to cover my expenses of living, living in a comfortable way rather than in sheer poverty and eating beans every day. So twelve hundred pounds was my target and I needed to find a job. The only job I could find paid me three hundred and twenty five pounds a month fixed rate. And then I sold CDs, which made me an additional three hundred pounds a month anyone knows about cds if you don't know about cds um you probably should i'm surprised you're listening to this podcast but congratulations for being here um and i had to make 650 i made 650 pounds a month and i struggled and figured it out um and slowly increased my amounts of money with two jobs and more cds and different little hustles here and there and finding out things that you could do online and things that you could do uh, extracurricular student loan helped at points like it was a real mishmash of survival and i did that for about five six years until i graduated and i finally started making an actual salary my first formal salary was 23k a year and in my mind it was about i think my take home was about 1400 i think i can't actually remember anymore but um i remember that and i was like i have surplus and i used to be so over the moon so my third persona became about um man that made it you know i i think i I remember being 23 and earning 24k and i was like i always want to earn more thousands of pounds than my actual age (laughs) so if i'm 23 i must earn 24 and when i'm 24 i want to earn 30 and by the time i'm 25 so i just had these mad that's that's what basically was pushing me was just these rules that i created that didn't really make sense but i just made these rules up and i would alter my behavior to achieve the goal so between the ages of 24 and 23 and maybe 30 my whole thing was just make money at all costs and look there was no rules to it and i didn't want to do anything illegal because i do not want to go to jail i still don't want to go to jail and i never would go to jail for anything reason shape or form so it was never illegal or really immoral it was just push bend figure it out but make money and so I would do things that probably weren't the best of me, but just were a way to make sure I made money because I thought that was the only measurement of masculinity there was. To be a man, you must make money. So I did and I made more than enough that I needed and I had lots of surplus and I did lots of things and I wasted it a lot of it in Zara and traveling. Um, But the main point is, is that that persona, I don't really think there was a person. I think I just added a mission to the persona and just became money making man and money became really important and personal relationships and romantic relationships didn't matter as much but somewhere between that it was just like okay i'm making money but i'm lonely so i'm gonna settle down settling down is a good thing to do so at 25 i made an intentional mission that i'm gonna find someone to settle down with for real and i dated badly for two and a half maybe three years and i had a system of like dates and trying and you know 
different types of people and challenging myself to date different types of people and hoping that I would find an answer. And then one day I was just like, I'm going to find the prettiest, smartest, funniest woman and just convince her that marriage is the answer. Now, that's not to diminish anybody. That's just what I said to myself because the other form of dating was sucking. And then uh, I remember going on... um, a date and I finally met somebody and I was like I'm just going to make this person my wife because that's the right thing to do and I asked them what does that look like to them and I heard, heard every single thing that they said that they wanted and I just sort of set out on going to achieve it and then you know <laughs> over a long period of time I realised that that was the stupidest idea I've ever known it's a terrible idea to believe that your commitment to someone is to serve them Um, on an ongoing basis uh, without necessarily having an ask for yourself but more importantly if you're ADHD serving somebody isn't really your gift it's something that you definitely will struggle with because you can't live inside the head of anybody else you live inside your own and so that idea very soon became a challenge so in my early 30s I had to what I call my first form of personal transformation and I needed to transform from that guy who had a persona developed an act took on all of these different projects and schemes needed to make a certain amount of money was trying to pretend to be a husband and a boyfriend and all these things you just you know invented them and I stacked my life in such a way that I was doing so many things that were unnatural to me that I would have regular just like what's the word it's not collapses that sounds too violent but just regular like breakdowns breakdowns better than collapses something between those two words find a warmer version of that it doesn't sound too crazy but just like if this isn't working and i would feel completely outside of myself i would feel completely lonely and alone and um, disconnected and forced i felt fake I felt like I wasn't being myself. I don't think I was serving myself. I had no boundaries. I had no self-commitment. I had no awareness. I just was just like living out, hurting people, hurting myself. And it just needed to stop. So midway through my 30s, I just said, I need to go find answers. And my, my wife at the time, who, by the way, is one of my favorite people on earth. She really did help me. And she went through it in the pursuit of helping me is just allowing me space to go find out answers big answers who am i how what's the real way i need to live and what's is it sustainable and will i be happy and yada 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 bless her bless her with everything i have she played probably the most important role in my adult life by far just loving me regardless accepting me regardless when it's difficult when it didn't make sense and largely i just always thought whatever i was doing was you know genius almost because you get so comfortable in the persona you build in your 20s they're like you know i'm successful i have a clear vision i know what i'm doing i'm smart i learn things most of those things i learned to survive and navigate people and um and then you just find yourself like pushing everyone around you and molding them and shaping them and you know not accepting them for who they are you're just like i know what i'm doing and um i just wasn't my best self at that point it was it was not stable for anybody and i think like 
and this is why I share this is because I know men will go through these phases and versions of it whether you're neuronormative or not we all sign up to something we sign up to capitalism masculinity to white supremacy whatever the concept is that you start to believe is the answer that's going to make your life easier you sign up to something you commit to it and you harm yourself in doing so and then as a result you harm everyone around you no matter how much you love them or how much you think you're present to them you're being unstable and i think this is why i think modern masculinity or masculinity being communicated today is so designed in whiteness it is not there for intersectional men if you're a white hetzis male your idea of self-centering family is completely different than if you're transported into a country where you are a minority and then you try to preserve your culture your customs your behaviors your worldview in that environment it's impossible even the very food you eat is polarizes you <laughs> from everybody else you try to bring your authentic food from the diaspora and sit at a table at lunch you're not you're not accepted your hair isn't accepted your broad nose and thick lips isn't told that it's beautiful so just by design your presence is already um not accepted and you add other intersectional lenses whether it be the fact that you're neurodiverse and specifically if you're a black woman or a black woman who's queer and disabled like you really do sit on the fringes of society and so you get told consciously and subconsciously that you are not the same as everybody else you are not enough uh you don't belong here all the time it's like a subtle message that's why the acknowledgement of microaggressions being just aggressions is because that's how it feels so anyway so after years of figuring that those really big questions i had the privilege of having the space and affording you know my beautiful family to be raised while that was happening um and in the end what i came back with is that i can't be my best self while living inside ideas and concepts not designed for a person like me so a person like me being a black male parent who's of that particular generation so age goes into it class being working class being neurodivergent means if someone says to you be married marriage was designed was designed very much for social and economic stability so in early societies marriage was often a way to create alliances between families tribes clans it was a means of establishing social ties and ensuring stability within the community so if two clans are merging and bringing families together then marriage was a way of doing that formally and contracting and supporting the economic ties between those two clans tribes or families also reproduction and procreation so this idea of building families inside the marriage is the best container for children which i still believe is true uh, it's, it, it, that's probably the best reason to get married a division of labor and that's obviously labor in the home but also generating work wealth as most people do work now more than before so it's not just labor as in like i look after my immediate family we're all wealth creating wealth producing machines so doing that together is a really important element uh, property and inheritance so get growing things owning things assets um re receiving inheritance and then making sure we have enough assets to pass on to our children and then you know the cultural and religious beliefs are almost like a separate thing the practical elements of it 
our property inheritance, division of labor, production, reproduction and procreation. But then the main part of it was around economic stability and building emerging clans, families and assets together. So to even be able to participate in marriage in reality, you need to have those things possible. You need to have family, a stable family, a connected family. And it's really is about merging families together. So the practice of, you know, families choosing your partner has some merit because you're trying to pass on a tradition, a culture, a way of existing, a meaning of family together. So if you're just out here meeting with people on the internet and trying to get married, the chances of that happening are greatly reduced. The person you probably most successfully would marry will probably be chosen by members of your family. They know you, they know your family, they know the wider ramifications of your choices. Um, So many of us are now just dating inside our heads. What do I think is best? What do I want? And it's so I and family, marriage is a family concept. It's not a concept for the individual to meet another individual and exist together. It was about merging. And if the bigger mission isn't there, then the idea of family just doesn't work. So I know that there was never any consideration about either of our families in my decision to get married. It wasn't thought as those things. It was, we're going to build a family. We're going to make some money. We're going to own some stuff. We're going to build some bigger stuff and we're going to have some children to live inside and guide them into the best outcomes possible and hand it to them afterwards. That was the mission. But I think the plan was just devoid of our wider families, our communities, our connections being united. And without it, it's just a life of inherently isolation. You you lose that thing. So I've never been more clear that a marriage needs to be inherently about that than ever. And again, look, I appreciate a lot of that was abused historically. Families forcing families together or people together when they didn't love them. And obviously that's stupid. That's not the answer. But there is something really powerful about your family playing a role in keeping your marriage together, your nucleus, your core group together. And an idea that's just bigger than feelings um, because feelings change, they disappear, they grow and relying purely on that will never be enough to sustain the challenges that come from the macro so that became a really important thing to understand and at this phase in my life and by the way each of my phases seem to last between 10 and 15 years so lucky for me and this phase of my life now is just about peace and joy it's incredibly become heavily simplified i have my children and i don't plan for any more Um, I understand what love is in a more profound way. I understand who I am in a more profound way. And the only answer for all of those things day to day is peace and joy. And peace doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, withdrawn and quiet and, you know, doing a Buddhist pose somewhere or lotus pose somewhere. It's just about day to day, like who's creating havoc for me and who's creating love and peace for me and removing the havoc. I don't need chaos at this point. I don't need anything. I don't need, I say I don't need anything. I don't need money. I don't need people for people's sake. I'm not trying to prove anything. I don't have a goal of design to like get something of significance from a point of self-interest. I'm just here. And... The only thing I really practice is my way of existing. So I practice 
the rules and values that I put in place and am I being that person every day and that's my measurement of success what happens as a result of it is just a happening it's great if I am featured in more tv shows and you know more commissions on tv and film and more people to work with I love it I fun I enjoy it but if that isn't with me or not possible anymore I can't be defined by it and I think I would just accept and go find another way to exist I, I, I just feel at this point my attachment style is acceptance <laughs> because every idea I've ever held onto or chased uh, or pursued doesn't serve someone like me because it wasn't built with someone like me in mind and I am not the archetype of man I'm not the archetype of patriarchy I'm not the archetype of capitalism I just exist and I like the simplicity in that and I love the people who support me in that and I love the life that I have right now and that's all I want so I say all of that to say thank you all and this was my update this is what has been happening for me in the last two and a half years this is what I have come to the conclusion of a lot of the big concepts that I identify by are no longer relevant to me and it doesn't mean they shouldn't be relevant to you it's just that for me personally it's something that I have let go of and I accept and I move away and I will continue to give my gift as long as it makes sense and the day it doesn't yeah, I will evolve into another space and hopefully this space is still going and you're listening to all these amazing tales of fatherhood and i will share it with you um but yeah thank you dope black podcast ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 